Welcome to another Impact Team podcast. My name's Mark Rothwell-Brooks. Today we speak to Robert Westmacott. Robert, or Nobby, as he's affectionately called, for reasons that none of us really know, in addition to working for the Impact Team in our sales development area, has just launched a product called Contextual. The product addresses the inefficiencies in responding to a data subject access request. And if you don't know what one of those is, you probably should. DSARs are becoming more and more common. We discuss the problem and how this problem is expanding, the reasons why responding is so important, and how using a tool like Contextual puts you at a distinct advantage over the traditional response, which is to throw people at the problem and hope for the best. So, we hope you like the conversation, and I give you Nobby Westmacott. Hello, Nobby. How are you? I am well, Mark. Thank you for Excellent. asking. How are you? Excellent. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for spending the time. Um, I wanted to speak to you today about um, DSARs, because we, we've had a couple of late and they've been quite operationally disruptive. Um, and I don't suspect that we are uh, alone in that realization. So I just, and I know you operate in this space, in addition to a, a lot of other things that you do with us. Um, so why don't we imagine for a moment that you're the expert in this particular field, and, and why don't you tell us <laughs> what, what exactly is a DSAR uh, and why are organizations like us and, and, and probably, your, you know, organizations that are listening to this, why, why are we receiving them and seem to be receiving more of them? Okay. All right. Well, there's quite a lot to unpack there, but let's start with what is a DSAR. So a DSAR, as an acronym, stands for a Data Subject Access Request. Um, and this has been a long-held right um, via data protection laws, uh, that gives the individual the right to access um, a copy of their personal data and supplementary information. This was um, part of the original uh, Data Protection Act and has become um, enhanced uh, through the GDPR Act that was that went live in, in 2018. Um, and it, it basically gives the, the individual the right to understand what, what information is being processed on them at any given time. Um, and to your second point, um, why are people getting them uh, is a good <laughs> is an interesting question. I mean, they were originally designed for the, 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 the reasons I just mentioned. But what's actually happening now is that um, employees especially are using them as a, a means of weaponization to get information uh on background activity at the firm you know if they feel that they've been let go or they've been passed over for promotion um, oh, right. or any any number of reasons why they have been halted in their um uh in their career path uh, whether so that a lot, be a lot of it, i mean I, I assume there's a there's a, a there'll be a lot of genuine requests for genuine reasons but you're saying that there's also the potential for malicious actors weaponizing the fact that you've got because when we had we when we had them we had a certain amount of time to respond 
I believe that you're under a time constraint, aren't you? Which is another. You are. <clears throat> yeah, you are. You've got um, what in effect is a month or, you know, one calendar month, 30 days to respond. Um, and, you know, if it's um, if it's a broad request um, and you want to meet that request, then you and it's difficult for you to meet that request with the current um, setup that you have within the organization, you can apply for, for an extension or or. or, or you can object to doing them if you feel they're manifestly um, unfounded or vexatious, as will be the case uh, under current laws that are changing. So, uh, but you have to be able to prove that fact. You have to be able to prove the fact that um, there is an ulterior motive and that um, the person asking for the request is doing so, um, but, you know, as an act of filibustering, as an act of... Um, yeah business discontinuity um and and if you can prove that then you can reject them but in most cases <clears throat> um it's very hard for you to to reject them because it's it's your um it's your right to 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 do, you know to, to to apply for this it's your right to be able to access this kind of information so it is very difficult for organizations to reject it but it is possible I, I guess the the act of establishing whether or not you reject it just eats into the thirty day thirty day time period anyway. So there's a degree of risk in even taking that response. It might be just as easy just to say, okay, well, let's respond. But yeah. What I, what I wanted to hear, what I'm really interested from your perspective is, because I sort of saw this from internally. What's actually involved in responding to one? Because I, I went to various meetings and all I I seemed to, I got the impression that it was a lot of documentation review. Very resource intensive. I think of the two that we've got in the last six months, we've spent about eight man days worth of effort just reviewing stuff. And, and, and you know, so, so can you just talk us through actually yep. what you're supposed to do in responding to a DSOR? Yeah, so <clears throat> the process broadly is that, um, and by the way, the, the 30 days starts ticking when once you've actually verified the individual. So, I mean, that's a relatively straightforward process for most organisations, but in some cases it's not if the request is coming in via a third party like a solicitor or whatever the case may be. So right. you have to understand that the person who's making the request is bona fide and that you've validated who they are. Once you have done that, that's when the process starts. Now, where we see organisations running into trouble is um, is the first part of that, which is um, understanding where this information is in your organisation and getting to it in short order. So if a request comes in um, and it's specific and it's asking for information within a specific time parameter, for example, which is quite common, um, and the request is, I want, <clears throat> I want access to that information across, you know, all platforms, all data, you know, whatever. Then, th then you have to be able to get across all of your structured data and all of your unstructured data uh, in order to be able to respond correctly to that. So that could involve, um, you know, the the unstructured data in terms of contracts in terms of um, WhatsApp messages, in terms of Slack messages, in terms of email. Uh, I mean, all of this stuff resides in different um, data silos. And unless you are um, 
a data-centric or a sophisticated technology company, um, it's we run into this problem all the time with organisations who really struggle to get the information in a timely fashion through a request into their each individual business unit. So, I mean, for example, we're, we're working with a utility company. They have data stored in about 10 different places. Um, they have to go to 10 different people. Actually, that's not strictly true. They have to go to eight different people um, who have responsibility of where that data resides. Um, and they have to recall that data uh, and they have to do that and identify who the data subject is in that data um, within a very short period of time because the document review part to a DSAR is the most time sensitive um, and, and the most difficult part. Once you've actually got the data, that's only um, a fraction of the problem. It's the review process and making sure that all third party data uh, relevant to the data that's been returned uh, is suitably redacted as part of that process. Ah, okay, so step one, work out where all the references to Mark Rothwell Brooks are in, any, in your document stores, plural. Step two is make sure that there's no reference to any other third party in there. And presumably then you have to redact that prior to you bundling it all up and sending it to whoever's respond, uh, issued the DSOR. Is that, that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think one of the other challenges that organisations have is that whilst this isn't a new concept, um, the the resource allocation from organisations for this kind of stuff is is particularly light in most organisations that we talk to. I mean, I mean, yes, the profile of some businesses would dictate that they would be receiving more requests um, and they staff up accordingly. But in the most part, um, you've got one or two people in an organisation of up to six, seven, eight thousand people, for example, that are having to respond to this in in a thirty day period, and that's that's mm. pretty difficult. So, other other than the, again, really interested in your in your insights here. Other than the, I can clearly see because we went through it that there was a time aspect to it. You know, I mentioned I think it was about eight Mondays we took across the two. So there's a time problem, um, but with it being so in, in, intensive in effort, it, is there a quality risk here? I mean, I, I can't imagine, I can't possibly imagine myself reading through for eight days reams of documentation looking for key words. Well, uh, you, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, try reading 10,000 pages of um, unstructured data and doing so consistently over a time boxed period um, you know I mean people that are trained um, and have expertise in this area are obviously uh, outperforming those that don't um, but in most you know in some cases you have people that are um, that are sort of back office admin people that are, are doing this kind of stuff and being responsible for identifying these areas of um, personal information that are resident in unstructured data relevant to the data subject that they have to redact. And, yeah. you know, the tools that they have at their disposal are, uh, are limited. You know, I mean, mm. we constantly come up against challenges where people are redacting either by hand on a, on a, you know, page by page basis using tools like Adobe pro, um, I mean, we even had one customer. One awful moment, then you're going to say a black marker pen. But I, I suspect well, yeah, that's and there, there are those. 
<laughs> no, no, no. There, there, there are those, and I, and I, and I will tell you of an example that we came across recently. And I kid you not, uh, and I won't, of course, shame them into into this. But um, they were using scalpels um, to cut out the information on the actual page rather than, uh, you know, a, a, a sharpie oh or, or whatever. I mean, so um, we are talking about, in the most part, still a very, very backward. <clears throat> a manually uh, intensive process, um, and it, and it's challenging to do all of that in a thirty day period. Interesting. So so let's turn to contextual. What what? Why did you? I think I know the answer to this question. Being in the first half of the conversation, <laughs> but what, why why did you set that up? And I, I suspect you're going to say, well, because everything we've just talked about is just a is a very inefficient way of going about life. But is is that was that the the thought process behind setting this capability up? Yeah, it was. And, you know, we come from a background of, uh, of technology development um, and we and, and IG expertise, information governance expertise. So my business partner and I, um, as a double act, um, he on the technology side and expertise side and me on the business development side saw a real gap in market here uh, to develop a product um, by, by professionals for professionals. I know that sounds cheesy, but you know we know what we we know what we need to find. We can code for that, um, and we can apply um, advanced um, technology skills on top of that in order to make that process much better. So we are we are using machine uh, machine learning and um, AI as part of the discovery process. Um, and we're using that also in dictating uh, how we then anonymize the text in a mass redaction protocol once that information has been identified. So, so really what we're doing is we're taking difficult documents to read and get through at scale and we're using uh, you know, techniques in technology to be able to identify personal information in unstructured data and then mass redact it as part of that process. And it's not perfect um, because there are aspects to what we're doing that are, are challenging. For example, um, you know, names of people uh, are also words. You know, Christian Storm, for example, is a name, but Storm is a, is a uh, you know, is a, is a, is a noun. So, I mean, trying to understand what the data is telling you that a human does automatically um, is where technology meets its first challenge. But what we're trying to do here is we're hence, trying hence to... Hence the context, I assume. Hence the context. Yeah, exactly. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get the first cycle, the first process through uh as quickly as humanly possible. I mean, you can, and we, we I use the example of 9,000 pages. We had a customer who regularly got DSARs at around that kind of level, and it was taking two to three weeks um, for an individual to go through that material, review it properly, redact it, and then respond to it. Yeah. If we can cut that process down using technology to a couple of days, for example, or less, then what you have at the back end of that is a QA process, right? So yeah. you have a cursory glance. You're, you're making sure that the technology is doing what it's supposed to do, um, and you're reducing a two-week process into perhaps two to three days as a as a total. And that's heavy, really heavy lifting what hasn't been done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, you you reckon that you could take that, I mean, take the scenario that I just talked about. So we, we took eight days, to well, four days each. I mean, we're a relatively, you know, SME organization, eight people in the organization, not, 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 not massive, not small either, have got large data stores. So, I mean, you just, impossible for you to say almost, but I'm going to ask you the question anyway. So if we'd, if we'd had implemented your software solution into our operations, you're fairly confident, are you, that we could reduce the operational overhead from four down to what? Un unquestionably, we could have done. Um, and I'm not just saying that. We, we absolutely could. So we could have taken the data. Well, there's two things here. <clears throat> you were taking the data once it was um, it was retrieved. Um, one of the things that Contextual is starting to do more and more um, is actually plug into the data sources, <clears throat> excuse me, the data sources of the organization. So, you know, we can get inside of Dropbox, we can get inside of um, uh, 365, we can get inside of SharePoint if we're given permission to do so. And we can actually interrogate the data at source. Now, we have <clears throat> still a long way to go there, <clears throat> but it, it is proving to be one of the most um, uh, exciting developments in our history. I mean, being able to help the client identify where all this information is, where all the key data is um, in their organization means that um, they don't have to have someone that is out of their control, like an IT manager, go off and do that for, you know, a week to 10 days and lose that, lose that momentum. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is that um, if, you know, a relatively benign request uh, we're seeing usually has upwards of 4,000, uh, four to 5,000 uh, pages of information that you would need to, to get through if you're doing this process properly. Oh, and, you know, wow. we went back to the, the original point of a human having to review that material. Um, it's not so much that they can't. Obviously, humans are better than computers when it comes to uh, the, the overall validity of the process. However, you can imagine that the accuracy and the focus levels drop off after page 1000. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, yeah. and you, you start to miss stuff uh, and. And finding it later on is much more difficult than having uh, the reliance upon a computer program uh, who consistently finds this information, doesn't get tired, doesn't get emotional, doesn't get frustrated, and just does does the job um, that you, you ask it to do. So yeah, long yeah. as the human is actually um, verifying and validating parts of what we're discovering, that's the key aspect. So it's, it's being able to use the software in combination with the expertise and the skill of the compliance officer that's actually doing it. That's the key. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, you seem to be describing the anti-pattern to your character, but um, I, I, I won't say that because that's a bit rude. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to put the details of um, how people would get hold of you in the, in the notes to the podcast. So, um, um, 
any final thoughts in terms of you know how you see the the, the evolution of DSARS, how you see the evolution of your, your your products and your service? How do you see the future in the next you know six twelve months? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, I think there are we we've just talked about aspects of. Um, Data discovery um, in unstructured data, primarily being the, the the key object here. That's entirely true and remains consistent. However, um, you know the GDPR extends beyond just data in uh, unstructured format uh, or, or rather in text and email format. It extends to things like voice. Um, it extends to things like video. Um, so you know if you're um, if you're a petrol forecourt company. Um, who has had a request come in uh, by a data subject for discovery around um, someone filling up their car and then exiting the petrol station without paying for it, for example, um, you would need to be able to access CCTV footage um, and not only review that uh, in accordance with the, uh, with the request that's made, you would have to be able to identify all third-party vehicle registration numbers, redact them in the video itself, Oh um, and that's all that's all discoverable by the subject who's requesting that information. So that that, you know, typically what we see is that information will go back to the data subject. Um, it doesn't have to go back to the data subject. I mean, you can just say, well, we processed this. We processed your data on this particular day uh, or you know, at this particular time. Um, but what we see is a follow-up request almost inevitably by the data subject to say, well, look, prove it show it to me, I want to see it. And so what we do is we, we tend to head off that request at the very outset. So we assume the worst and we assume that the data subject would want to see um, everything and all that they're entitled to up front um, such that complaints cannot be levied at the ICO for non-compliance. You know, um, so, yeah. so that's how that's how we approach things. We get, we, you know, we, we attack the worst case scenario first. Um, and, and one of the things that we are extending in the service is we are looking very much at, uh, at voice redaction. Uh, the other area that's a real point of frustration and, and most, um, you know, sort of financial services firms will feel the heat here is handwritten information. So anything you write in a post-it note, anything you write as handwritten notes as part of a, a, um, a career summary or a career review, uh, all of that stuff is discoverable as well under a SAR. So being able to understand and interpret handwriting has always been a massive challenge, um, not to humans. Of course, humans can read handwriting and interpret it. But, um, you know, when, you've, when you're dealing with lots and lots and lots of handwriting materials, it's difficult uh, for a human to focus and concentrate for the period of time that we're talking about. So having computer systems do that ultimately would be a huge leap forward. And it's hard, but it's improving greatly. If you'd have launched this a year ago and sold it to the Home Office, you'd have made a fortune out of the COVID inquiry. I, I, I do feel very, uh, you know, I have a soft spot very much for the public sector who um, who constantly get wrapped on the knuckles about this kind of stuff. But the reason I have some sympathy with them is that, A, they're receiving multiple requests on a monthly basis because, you know, they are. Um, and secondly, they are resource-strapped. Um, so they're having to rely upon bodies to do this. Um, and if you're getting two, 300 um, SAR requests a month uh, and you've got 30 days to do each of them, um, I can't see how you can... 
well, I can't see how you can really maintain some cadence there unless you're using software to do it. Yeah, not a good, uh, not good value for money, I guess, for the taxpayer in that regard. I, I know that you and I are taking this message to a couple of financial institutions because um, that's typically the market that we've, that you and I have operated in. So, um, very much look forward to progressing those conversations with the people that we're talking to. And um, Nobby, great to talk to you again. Um, speak to you shortly. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Cheers. See ya.